Good morning. Time for class to start, so as soon as court gets himself settled. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's good to see you here this morning. Um, we have just concluded our, our study on James, uh, but we're going to be referring back to that a little bit and, and remembering that and what we've studied in there over the past two months. Uh Including today, we have three more Sundays in Bible class uh, to complete our study. We are now moving into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so this is going to be a condensed version. I apologize. Um, so what I really encourage you to do is study for yourself. Um, I'd be happy if you have questions, comments, or anything, please grab me by the arm. Let's talk about it, and I, I would love to discuss more. All right, so well, let me get this thing started here. There we are. First John. All right, so open up your Bibles. We'll also have the verses here on the PowerPoint so you can follow along. A um, little bit of, of background as we go into this. This John is uh, John the Apostle, the son of the excuse me, son of Zebedee, and he has a brother that we also know as James. So John and James. Now this John is uh, a fisherman. He was, uh, him and James were fishermen with Peter, and that is how they got called by Christ. If you remember that, in my mind growing up as a kid, I always pictured it, they were out there mending their nets and everything, and, and Jesus came by and said, follow me. And they dropped everything and went with him. Now, uh, historically, we think, okay, now this is, is, is historical opinion. We think they were also followers of John the Baptist. So they understood that, that there was a Christ coming. And so, you know, because when you think about it, you think, well, why in the world would somebody just drop everything and, and follow this man? Well, they are, they were already thinking on these things. They were listening to John the Baptist, and his purpose was to prepare the way for Christ, right? So that's exactly what happened with Peter, James, John, Andrew, uh, those apostles around there. So historical is not found in the Bible on that, but it's historical that we put together. Remember that even in First John, it does not say, I, John, wrote this book. Nowhere in there does it say that. So they have to put the pieces together from history. They have to pull in all the writings from other, other historians, other Christians, other books. Everywhere they can find more sources to pull together and tie this in. But it is strongly held that John wrote this. Not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. He also wrote the Gospel book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so you've probably read John quite a bit, haven't you? Or you've heard it a lot in sermons or, or other lessons, and so you're more familiar with John the book, one of the Gospels. Um, so he's tied in there. He also wrote Revelation. And so because of that, because of in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation, he wrote to the seven churches 
in the area of Ephesus. Remember, he was in Revelation, he's warning them, he's warning everybody, all the Christians, but those churches especially, he's pointing them out for either what they're doing or not doing. And and one of the most famous things that we think of is, is you are lukewarm and I you are going to be spit out. Almost everybody remembers that, that phrasing there. Paraphrase, please. So, he, he wrote to those churches. We know also later in his life that he ministered in, the, in Ephesus. And so all, he most likely wrote this from around Ephesus. All right? Um, now, speaking of uh, his brother James, John and James. James and John. Usually it's, it's more James and John. James is probably the elder. Um, they were referred to in um, Mark 3.17... Jesus refers to them as the sons of thunder. That's an awesome title, sons of thunder. And he gives no reason why. No reason why he has named them that. But we can infer things. Maybe it was a personality. I mean, certainly if you've got two strong men working together, they're going to get things done, right? And in one instance, when, when a whole town turned their back on Jesus and he rebuked them, they were ready to call down fire from heaven, destroy that town. Well, that's probably in their personality right there, we can guess. And i, I got to tell you, it's a guess because it doesn't tell us. It's just from writings and things like that, how we get to know these, these men, these apostles from, from thousands of years ago. All their writings are relevant to us today, but they were called sons of thunder. So we could even copy that, couldn't we? Depending on our personality, on who we are and what we do, we could be known as children of thunder. All right, just a, a note there. Now, we know that John was an eyewitness to everything that happened with Christ. I, even in, we're going to see here in, in our uh, readings that in 1 John 1, 3, he says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. He was there. He was in the middle of all of it. He traveled with Jesus. Now, we also uh, know that uh, James, John, and Peter were kind of the inner circle with Christ. They were the closest to Christ. They probably traveled the most with them, hung around with them the most. Um, and, and because of that, they heard and seen everything. Uh, fortunately for us, we get the benefit of that. Also, it's possible that he was the caregiver of Mary, mother of Jesus. If you'll remember there at the cross, as Jesus was, was dying, he said, take care of, this is, is your mother, you know, you are her son. I'm paraphrasing, I apologize. But we know that Mary went to to the one that Jesus loved and, and is believed to be John, this John that we're going to be studying today. All right, so why is 1 John important? I mean, it's kind of in the back of the New Testament right there. It's in the list there way on back, and there's there's three of them, and it's, and it's not a very long book. First uh, John has five chapters. Second uh, John, third John is even shorter way shorter. But there's so much information packed in all these. Remember we in our studies, we said that, that James, the book of James, was a good guidebook for our life every day. 
that you could take that and use that as a guide to know what you needed to do as a Christian? Well, add to that First John and what we're going to study uh, today and next week. Add to First John because it completes it. James spoke in a very strict way. You people, you double-minded people. He wasn't afraid to use strong emotional words to warn them and say, you are doing wrong and you've got to change. On the other hand, there is John. Now, John will do much of the same thing, but he does it in a very gentle way. Very different. You you can see even personality-wise in his writings. He takes a very gentle approach, a very loving approach. He's going to bring out some things that you've got to think about every day in your Christian life, and it is going to apply to us today, yesterday, and in the future. So two different personalities, and we're going to see that if we put them together, we really get a a much better picture. So he uses love a lot. Now, he also uses something called parallelisms. It's a mechanism in, in structure of a, of a thought, okay, that he's putting down here. Parallelisms. He's going to take two different things that are opposite. He's going to compare them in a way that you see very plainly, you know, the good, the bad. Uh, we're going to see it as Christ, Antichrist, light, dark, truth, falsehood, Righteousness, sin, love of the Father, love of the world. He takes these things and he, he compares them in a way that is very simple. And it, it, it helps us understand these concepts even better. And, but he, he very clearly says there is a right and there is a wrong. And you have to understand that. We're not traveling in the gray in between. No. There's a dividing line there. There's a right and a wrong. But he recognized, and all he did, that in his writings, that with love and encouragement, he recognized that all love was from God. And he encouraged all believers to love one another. And we're going to see that as we go into him. So what we're going to do first, well, very first thing, I want to clear up one thing. Antichrist. Okay, what do you picture when you hear that word, antichrist? So... In my mind, growing up as a kid, you know, you hear that term and, and of course you go to the horror movies, the terrible movies about the Antichrist is coming. You know, this terrible person was going to come and take over the world and, and everything was evil. Well, that's a, that's media. That's media just feeding you stuff for you to think, okay? But when you dive into what it really is, let's understand that better. So, the, the worldview would be a personal opponent of Christ expected to appear before the end of the world. Okay, he's going to show up. And most of the times, you know, when, with what we've been fed, we're going to say it's the devil. Ah, oh, Satan's going to pop up and, and start taking over the world. Okay, no, that's false. That is just the media picture that they've fed us for so long. Okay? What it actually is, and we're going to see as we read, is a person or force seen as opposing Christ or the Christian church. Okay, it's just an opposing person. A person or thing regarded as supremely evil or as a fundamental enemy or opponent. So let me ask you this. Could you at times be an antichrist? Ooh, we wouldn't want that label put onto us, would we? I don't think anybody would. 
All right, so just keep in mind that that is a, a, a term that, that has been blown out to think of the devil only and not actually what's around us and the people around us. Anybody opposed to Christ is Antichrist. It's right there in the name, Antichrist, okay? So it can be applied to most of the world, all right? But it can be applied to us as well in our actions and, and our attitudes and what we do. So think of that. All right, so what we're going to do first is we're going to read chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to go through it all, because even if I don't get to the end of the lesson, we are going to read through it together so you can and, and see it. And hopefully you will have questions yourself. Think on it yourself at home. As always, I encourage you to let God's Word speak to you at home. All right, so let's begin. Chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes... What we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word... In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him, And in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light, and yet hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light, and there is nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven, forgiven you on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who have been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God remains in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would not they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be evident that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you received from him remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you remain in him. Now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. So as we get into our discussion here, what was from the beginning. Now, Let's see, did I? Nope, I didn't. Okay, so verse 1 there, word of life. Verse 2, eternal life. And verse 3, Son, Jesus Christ. These things are all pointing to Christ. It is all about Christ. Everything he is saying is, is Christ, Christ, Christ. And when he's talking about God, he is including that as Christ as well. God the Father, God the Son, together. And so he has been with him. He has, has, has lived with him. He has been surrounded by Jesus. And he's saying that is the way. That is the only way that we need to live. 
John 1, 1 through 5. Now, the Gospel of John, okay? Earlier in the, in the New Testament, John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. So do you see right there, just even comparing, we see from the Gospel of John, he really likes to talk about darkness and light, and we're going to see that in 1 John as well. So you can connect who wrote this. It goes all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning was Christ. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's verse 5, ending it. So again, light and darkness. He's already comparing that in the way he he, uh, writes. Now, we're going to see in the next few verses, if, 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 if is a conjunction. It's a connecting word, all right? We're, he, we already see that he likes comparisons, right? So he's also going to throw in some conditions in there, some actions, consequences, you know, do this, this will happen. If this happens, it's because of this. So let's look at those. If we say that we have fellowship with him, if, if, if. You can see I highlighted them. Can you see that? Okay, you can. All right, so fellowship is the first thing there. Now, that fellowship is what? It's a connection. Fellowship with him. Fellowship with who? Christ. And inference with God also. So we have that connection. If you have fellowship with God, with Christ, but you walk in the darkness, okay, then he's saying we lie. Now, we know that if somebody says you're lying, you're not telling the truth, we automatically go to that's wrong. It's pretty clear there, right? Right or wrong. If you lie, you're wrong. You're in the wrong. So he puts that there just to say, okay, this is what it is. I, you can understand what a lie is, so we're going to put that in there. If we walk in the light... As Jesus is in the light, okay, if we do this, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, these are all supporting, you know, connections here. If you do this, then you have this. So keep that in mind. The world does not think of it that way. Ah, you're a good person, you know. And you believe in God? Okay, you're saved. That's what's put out there. And it's a false idea. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, I, I, I've never heard a person say, I have no sin. Even people I've been around in the world, you know, worldly people, and they'll just say, I'm not religious. And they may or may not say, I believe in God, but they know that sin is wrong. They have a, a moral standard, right and wrong. So, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it goes from having no sin to confessing our sin. Okay, now that confessing our sin, now who are we confessing it to first? God. We're opening ourselves up and saying, I have sin." And so many times we, if we even saw this in James, we need to confess to one another. That confessing is, is, is also can be apologetic. I have sinned, I was wrong, I am sorry. Acknowledging that. Because if we don't acknowledge it, then we just hold on to it and deceive ourselves. Cover it up, bury it deep within us. You know, even the world knows that if you... If you deceive yourself of something, you're going to continue in it. Alcoholism. How many people would say, I don't have a problem. Drug addiction. Nah, I could quit that anytime I want to. It's deceiving yourself. And because of that, you continue on into it. But when you bring it out, when you hold it up to the light, okay? When you hold it up to the light and actually look at it and go, Oh, I don't want that ugly thing anymore. I've got to do something about this. It does not lead to to a perfect sin-free life, okay? Let's just get that cleared up right now. We are still going to sin. We are imperfect people, but we are going to try our very best. Okay? So many times we we look at others and we we unfortunately, knowing it's wrong, we judge them. Ah, Look at him. He's still in that addiction. He's still in alcoholism. He's still doing, you know, this whole list of stuff that we know is wrong, and we judge them without knowing their circumstances, without knowing them, without giving them any break, without giving them God's love through us. And you know that's wrong. All right, let's move on here. In chapter 2, we have an advocate. Can you imagine having somebody stand up for you? That is awesome. I mean, how do you feel when a friend stands up for you? Or your husband or your wife or somebody, okay? And if you don't really understand that concept, how do you feel when somebody doesn't stand up for you? When they betray you? When they deny you? Okay, think of that feeling. Now think of the opposite Somebody's standing there wanting to support you. Somebody's going, I know that person. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus for us. He's our advocate. Because on Judgment Day, he's going to be there for us. Us imperfect people coming in there at the finish line on Judgment Day. And and we're going to see later on that, that he tells us to have confidence at the very end there of chapter 2. But going in there, and, and so many times in situations in life, are we fully confident? Oh, I got to tell you, I've, I've got my own insecurities. I've got my own doubts about things, and they can get to me, especially when I've been in my head for too long. But then I've got Jesus there for me. And, and he's going to be before his father, God, saying, this is your son. And I have accepted his sins. He is yours. 
And God's going to go, welcome. Wow. I want Jesus on my side, my lawyer. I mean, how many of us are afraid of even going to court because of the formality of it and the the circumstance and, and oh, we got to get this person that's going to speak for us, this lawyer, an advocate. Well, that is the same with Jesus. He's our advocate between us and our Father. Propitiation. I don't like that word. You noticed I probably stumbled over it, right? Propitiation. Is that a word you use every day in your language? Go to work? Well, I don't either. (laughs) But what it simply means is that Jesus appeased the Father with his sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice to take away our sins, and it pleased the Father. Okay, appeasement. Now, appeasement is a word you should, you probably know. You know, to appease somebody is to please them, to satisfy them. Okay, now this is very simplistic. Uh, I'll, I'll admit that, you know, I've heard lessons on propitiation. And I'm not going to go down that route. Just a simple thing. Jesus is the appeasement to God for our sins. So just think of it in that, that definition, okay? That will help you as you, you study on. Um, and he throws in another if there in, in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Now, what's the world think of this? Well, they just go on and say, you're a good person. You're, you're saved. You believe in God, right? Okay, good enough. Uh, you don't need to follow all these rules and and commandments and all, no, no. God loves you. You know, a loving God's not going to send you to hell if you believe in him. But right there, John is saying, by this we know that we have come to know him, to understand him, if we keep his commandments. Now, how are we going to keep his commandments? Study, 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 study. Read God's word. Do what you're doing right now. Come to a Bible study. Come to Bible class. Come to worship because you're going to get fed more of God's word. And that's how we understand them. Now, so many times, you know, we don't have a, you don't walk in the building and you have a full understanding of everything, right? Oh, I wish I could. I wish I could wake up in the morning and all that knowledge is just downloaded into my head. That'd be awesome. But that's not the way it works. We have to study. We have to learn it ourselves. Nobody's going to do it for you. They will teach you, but they're not going to learn it for you. So, where am I? But whoever follows his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Okay? Remember we connected perfection to salvation. Okay? In him, the love of God has truly been perfected, complete, whole. If something is perfect, it is complete and whole. Is your love of God complete and whole? How many times do we get, you know, holes punched into that? On a daily basis, maybe? When we take God for granted? 
when we forget, when we don't talk to him and communicate and pray, when we don't get into his word, all these things are making holes in our spirit. Swiss cheese. Do you have a spirit of Swiss cheese? I hope not. I hope that every day you are filling in those holes and trying to be complete and perfect in your love of God. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also, you and me, us, walk just as he walked. Be imitators of Christ. How are you going to do that? Study. Okay, none of this is going to come natural. You might be a naturally nice person, and I would hope so, but I know tons of naturally nice people in the world. You know, some of them I work with, but that's not enough. You have to study and imitate him, study to know how to do it. So you look through Jesus' life and say, okay, this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do, okay, this. Ooh, I failed on that one. Okay, maybe I can do better there. All right? Even going back to James, remember James, that we just finished studying, he says, here's your guidebook for life. You're doing all these things wrong. Change it. And it really is, it sounds simplistic, and it kind of is. We've got to do a 180 sometimes. You know, and, and, and is that going to be easy? No. No. Maybe some things are. You know, maybe some people can, you know, recognize a bad attitude and change it right off. Wonderful. Or maybe there are other things in their life that are just holding on. They are bad habits that are hard to break. Remember we said that a habit, if you've done it multiple times, you know, they, the, I think the, the standards is eight times and it becomes a habit. How hard is a habit to break? Doesn't matter what it is, it becomes habit, routine, ritual. And those things are hard to break for us. So we try and nip it in the bud. All right. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. Okay, this gets a little confusing, doesn't it? New commandment? Old commandment? What's he talking about here? Okay, he's talking to the children, the fathers, the young men. He's talking to the entire group. They're Christians. All right? They're Christians already. They're just like us. And he's trying to say, okay, these are things you need to do. So listen up. All right, listen, this is something you already know, the old commandment. You already know this. But if you're hearing it now as a new commandment, then okay. I'm going to tell you it's a new commandment. Get into it and start on it. He's referring back to James. Remember James again, chapter 2, verse 8. Do you see how all this is connected? All these verses that we, we bring out. Now, I'm, I'm leaning towards James because we just got through studying it. Okay, it should be fresh in our mind. James 2, verse 8, he is going back to love your neighbor as yourself. And he's calling it the royal law. It's, it's, it's one of our first commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the very first one is what? Love God. And the second one is love your neighbor. Okay, and he's referring all the way back to Leviticus. 
Old Testament. Now, see how all these things are brought forward from the Old Testament? So many times we say, oh, that's Old Testament. I don't need that because I'm, I'm in the New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian now. No, so much of this stuff ties all the way back and is dragged forward for us. Okay, we learn from that. We also find the same thing in Matthew 22. Now, I didn't get to the verses, but the chapters. Matthew 22, Mark 12, and John 13. The previous book he wrote. So he's referring all the way back to that. It's a continued theme with John. Love, 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 love. So instead of, of James pointing his finger at you saying, change, John's over going, Brother, sister, I love you so much, and I need to, I want to see you change. You need to do something different, okay? If you really want an extreme here, James is using the stick, John's using the carrot. The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now, Okay? So we're already getting into these comparisons here, light and dark. You know what that's like, right? Light and dark. We're sitting in the light right now, but if we turned off the switch, we'd be in the dark, right? Okay, we, that's obvious. It's easy to know. So if you're in the light, who's the light? Jesus. You've been in the darkness. Now you're in the light. However, there's a problem. Obviously, some people in this group that he's talking to hate each other. Now, that's a that's a strong word, isn't it? If I reached out and said, Court, I hate you. <laughs> I can poke him because he's my friend and I love him. But we're supposed to be brothers and sisters, right? Family's so hard sometimes. You know, we can hold things against family. That's an awful situation to be in. But we do it here in the church also, among people we're supposed to love, who are supposed to think the same, act the same. We have the same goal of heaven. We know how to get there. We know God's word, but so many times these hateful things creep into our life. And he's he's saying in a gentle way, nah, uh that's darkness. If you hate your brother or sister, that's darkness. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light, and there is nothing in him to cause stumbling. So in the light, everything's clear, right? And that's where we want to stay. We want to stay in the light. We want to stay in Christ. And we want to do that by imitating him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You ever stubbed your toe in the dark? Hurts, doesn't it? You get up during the night and you don't want to turn on the light. You don't want to wake your spouse or, or you just don't want to blind yourself because as soon as you turn the light on, you're blind then anyway. So why turn on the light? And you're feeling your way around there because you know where everything's at, right? You know where the bed frame is and you know where that cabinet is. And you run right into it and smack it with that toe. And oh, it 
hurts. Okay? That is the darkness. That is the darkness. That is what sin brings into our life. We become in the darkness because we're not in Christ the light. Okay, in this part, I just want you to see, he's, he's writing in a way, little children. Why? Because we are all children. And, and John takes it because he's administering to these churches, to these brothers and sisters around there, and he feels responsible for them. Okay? Like a mentor. Almost like a father. These are my children. I love them so much. We love our children so much, don't we? We love them in a different way than we would somebody else. And he's saying, my children. But then he's also talking to the fathers there. Maybe they're the older ones in the congregations, the churches there. He's speaking to the young men because they're the ones up and coming. They're going to be the future leaders. And he wants them to pass on. He's encouraging them. He said, you already know these things. And you're doing them. Amazing. That's awesome. So you see, he's using that carrot again, saying, you've got this. You know, I know that you're going to do this. Then he rolls right into, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he is comparing right there, as we've seen before, love of the world, love of the Father. It's easy, okay? We know that, right? We can, yeah, we know that. We got that. But do we really? We have to examine ourselves each and every day. And I don't mean flog yourself and beat yourself up. I just mean take an attitude check. Look at your life. You know, how connected are you to God? How connected are you to the world? And so many times it is so easy for the world to suck us in. Just draw us right in there. We've already talked about how the media does this, the influence of media. You know, negativity from news that's happening in the world. Or maybe the TV shows that we're watching or, or people that we're following on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Wow, those are some amazing tools and at the same time they are some awful tools because they can influence us. We look at other people's lives and compare them to ourselves and then we get in trouble. So not only the influence on our life, but even the material things of the world. All right? That car, that house, those clothes, just the things, the trappings of the world. And it really is trappings. That word is used on purpose, the trappings of the world, because they trap us. You know, um, you can collect so much junk in in your, for me, 60 years of life. Junk. And you store it. And you save it up because someday you might need it. And then the next thing you know, you're raising, opening a door and you're like, why do I have all this junk? You know, maybe somebody else could benefit from it because I'm certainly not. Or maybe I just need to get rid of it. But then there's even the financial side. Money. You know, we have, we have studied before about it being the root of evil. Why? It's the love of money. It's not the money itself. It's the love of money. OK? 
Okay, another worldly concept, love of a, a thing that is not God. God is not money. God is the most important thing in our life, but he is not money. And so many times our culture says, you have to be successful. And to be successful, you have to be wealthy. And we buy into that because it takes money to live. We just got it. That's a reality. You go to a job, you earn money so that you can pay your bills, so you can have heat in your home, so you can have some clothes, so you can put gas in your car or a bus pass or some food. Food's kind of important too. Okay? But then it goes to an extreme. We just need a little bit more and a little bit more. And it creeps up on us and traps us. So what do we need to do? Step back and examine ourselves. Examine our attitudes and what we're doing. That's all he's saying here is check yourself. Children, is the last hour. Okay, last hour. Let me explain that real quick. Last hour. I was always afraid. I'm like, well, I'm still here. No, the last hour. Jesus has come already, and we are waiting on Judgment Day. We know that's in the future. We are in the end times. We just don't know when it's going to end. He's saying, okay, you've got to get in on this. Now, that was the second bill. I know class is over. Dive into yourself. Next week, we're going to pick up in chapter 3 and go to the end of the book. We're going to cram it all into one lesson, so please read it for yourself. Thank you.